Father in heaven, we love you. You have done great things for us, and you have given great things to us, and the greatest gift is you. There is nothing better than to know you, love you, and be loved by you. By the end of this sermon, may each of us know you and love you more deeply, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. If you're using one of our church Bibles, which you're free to take with you, if you don't own a Bible, you'll find today's text on page 358. Let's begin reading from chapter 8. Here are the last two verses of chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Listen to these three phrases again. Man cannot find out the work of God that is done under the sun. He will not find it out. And he cannot find it out. God is sovereign over all things. Our catechism teaches us that nothing happens except through God and by His will. The moment of your birth, the moment of your death, and every single moment in between is from the hand of God. Every high point, from the hand of God. Every low point, from the hand of God. And every plot twist is from the hand of God. Oftentimes, oftentimes, God's ways are clouded. God's ways are inscrutable beyond our understanding. Which is why Isaiah 55 teaches us that God's ways are higher than our ways. You've heard the expression, God moves in mysterious ways. That's actually not a verse in the Bible. The source of that saying is a a song written by John Newton's friend, William Cowper. We sing it here occasionally. It's called, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Let me read to you verses 1, 2, and 5. It captures what Solomon is talking about in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 8. God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. He plants His footsteps in the sea. You can't see His footsteps. You can't see where he's going. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Blind unbelief is sure to err 
and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. So think of your life as a complex story written by God and only he, according to Isaiah 46, knows the end from the beginning. So your life is like that book that you're reading or that movie that you're watching and you get about halfway through and you realize you have no idea what's going on. Those are the complexities of your life. Those are the complexities of my life. God knows, but I don't know. And basically, Solomon's advice here is don't exhaust yourself trying to figure out what God is up to. And Christians are always exhausting themselves trying to figure out what God is up to. Asking the why questions. And I ask those questions. Asking the how questions. And I ask those questions. But he gives us this encouragement. Rather than trying to puzzle over what it is that God is up to, he gives us this encouragement in our next verse. Chapter 9, verse 1. But all this I laid to heart. Examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. So the why and the how is not as important as the who. The why and the how is not as important as the who. The key to joy and contentment is not answers to your questions. It feels like it is, but it's not. The key to joy is remembering whose hand you're in. The wise and the righteous and their deeds are in the hand of God. But the professor continues, he's made it clear that life is uncertain. We don't know all the twists and the turns that are before us. But we do know one thing that's before us. And he tells us in these next verses, we do know one thing that is for absolute certain, death. He talks about death. Listen to what Solomon says in the second half of verse 1 all the way through verse 3. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. In other words, good times, hard times. We don't know what is before us. Verse 2. It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, And madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. So he just got through saying that there may be, there will be, a lot of uncertainties in your life. But there is a certainty. And that certainty is death. After the Constitution was written, Benjamin Franklin famously said, In this world, 
Nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. We know this. There's no escape. Life is uncertain. Death is certain. And it is, verse 2, the king said, it is the same for all. It doesn't matter whether you're here today and you're a good person or an evil person. You are going to die. The godly man and the co-worker that makes fun of him for being godly are both going to die. Derek Kidner put it this way in his commentary on Ecclesiastes. Moral or immoral, religious or profane, we are all mown down alike. Death is absolutely certain. But that's not the only thing Solomon says about death. It's also final. Death is certain and death is final. Listen to verses 4 through 6 and hear the finality of death. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is under the sun. So death is coming for you. It is certain. And once it does, verse 4, hope is lost. In other words, when you die, your life is over. There's no redos. There's no second chances. There's no mulligans. It's over. Hebrews 9, 7 says, Every man is destined to die once and then to face judgment. Death is certain and death is final. Remember Genesis chapter 1 and 2? Before death, God had created everything, including human beings. And we're told that it was very good. And decay and death were not a part of God's perfect, beautiful, glorious creation. And then God told the man in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, you need to love me You need to obey me or you shall surely die. In Genesis chapter 3, the man did not love God. He sinned. He went his own way along with his wife. And then God came to him and said in Genesis 3, 19, to dust you shall return. You're going to die and we've all been returning to the earth ever since. When the buzzer goes off at the end of the fourth quarter, the game is over and the score is set. There is nothing you can do after the game to go back and change the outcome. This is the hard, realistic point that Solomon is driving home. Let that sit. This is something we don't like to think about. 
This is something we distract ourselves from. This is something we don't want to think about. Solomon is very good at bringing up all these subjects that, that we don't want to talk about, that we don't want to think about, realities that we don't want to face. Death is certain. Death is final. Some of us are tempted to trivialize death. To downplay it. Make it seem not as bad. Let me give you four short quotes and Listen to how these people are downplaying death, downplaying the reality of what Solomon is talking about. The first one is from Forrest Gump. And you might remember he said, dying's just part of living. That sounds like something Forrest Gump would say. That's stupid, isn't it? Living is living. And dying is dying. Dying's not part of living. Dying's the end of living. J.K. Rowling apparently wrote these books about Harry Potter. Here's what she says. To the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. Mahatma Gandhi said, each night when I go to sleep, I die. And the next morning when I wake up, I am reborn. What is this? This is trivializing death. This is downplaying death. This is trying to face the reality of something that is certain and final and make it less daunting. The writer Khalil Gibran famously said in his book, The Prophet, What is it to die? But to stand in the sun and melt into the wind, and when the earth has claimed our limbs, then we shall truly dance. I don't even know what that means. And here's Solomon's quote about death. Verse 4, a living dog is better than a dead lion. That's not positive about death. He's a realist. There's nothing good about death itself. Christian, think about this. There is nothing good about death itself. I was convicted this week as I thought about this, as I thought about what Solomon was saying in these verses. I was convicted that I've spoken too lightly about death. Focusing on what comes after death for a Christian. But that should not take away the horror that is death. Derek Thomas says, we are wrong to diminish the moral dimension of death. We are wrong to see death as simply a device that morally transforms everyone. Death is not the transformer. It is a curse. God is the transformer. His grace transforms. Death itself is judgment apart from that grace. So Solomon, when he writes this about death, he's not commenting on the afterlife. He, he knows that there is in God a life after this life that is sweet. But he doesn't want to diminish for his readers 
the evil of death. That death is the body-rotting, soul-damning result of treason against God. That's what death is. It is the body-rotting, soul-damning result of treason against God. And your death is absolutely certain, and your death will be final. Okay, that leaves three more verses. There's three more verses here. Solomon has done what he's done many times before, and he's reminded us of reality. A hard reality. You're all going to die. That's the reality that he puts before us in the first verses of chapter 9. You're all going to die. And now he prescribes a response. So he's done this over and over again in this book. He, he faces us with reality and then he tells us what our response should be. In light of the uncertainty of life and the certainty of death, how should we live? And his answer is again, surprising. When you think about how life is so uncertain and you can't know the future and you can't control the present and when you think about how death is certain and you're going to die and it's only a matter of time, it might be decades, it might be this afternoon, how should you respond to that? And most of us would say, have a panic attack, get anxious, be discouraged, be depressed, But what is Solomon going to say? He's going to say something that he says over and over and over again. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. Enjoy the gifts that God has given you. Listen to verses 7 through 9. Go. Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved of what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. There it is. That's Solomon's bucket list for you. You're going to die. And here's what you need to do between now and when you die. We call that a bucket list. This is God's bucket list for you. And what is it? Broadly speaking, enjoy your life. Christian, enjoy your life. What are the gifts that God has given you? Has He given you many gifts? Has He given you a few gifts? What gifts has He given you? What has He given you? Who has He given you? Enjoy those gifts. Bring glory to God by enjoying and rejoicing in, he said elsewhere, the lot that God has given you. Enjoy the gifts that God has given you. This is the sixth time he said this in this little book. He said it five other times in chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, and chapter 3. Verses 12 and 13, and chapter 3, verse 22, and chapter 5, verse 18 through 20, and in chapter 8, verse 15. But this time is different. 
which is why we're going to think about this. This time is different. He uses stronger terms in this enjoyment passage, and there is more elaboration. So let's understand exactly what he says. It's very practical. It's very practical. Let's make our way out of the sermon by slowing down for a few minutes. Let's pull apart Solomon's exhortation here. There are six things on Solomon's bucket list. Let me list them for you. There's six things here. Let me list them for you, and then we'll go through, and I'll briefly explain them. Number one, go. Number two, go and eat your bread. Number three, go and drink your wine. Number four, go and put on some nice clothes. Number five, go and smell good. Number six, go and enjoy life with your spouse. Those are very practical. Those are not complicated. This is very simple how he breaks it down. He's saying you're going to die. God has given you gifts that are for this life. Now, they're not to be compared to the gifts that are going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. But there are gifts here that are a part of this life that won't be a part of the gifts that are in that life. They're unique to your time here. And if you are in Christ and you've been saved by Him, and your future is secure, and you love Him, and trust Him, and honor Him, and obey Him, then what you have planned for you is day after day after day of seeking to enjoy the gifts that He's given you. So He tells us to go, go and eat your bread, go and drink your wine, go and put on some nice clothes, go and smell good, go and enjoy Life with your spouse. So let's look at them one at a time. You may think you've got those nailed. That's easy. I don't need any more explanation, but maybe this will be helpful. Look at the very first word. This is how he says it this time in stronger terms. The first word is go. Stop doing whatever you're doing and do this. That's what the word means. In Matthew 28, we're called to go and make disciples. And Solomon here says, go and enjoy your life. Stop the complaining. Stop the self-pity. Stop the negativity. Go and enjoy your life. It's a gift from God. Number two, go and eat your bread. Verse seven, go eat your bread with joy. Food is a gift from God. This is why God gave you taste buds. Eating is not just something you have to do. Eating is something you get to do. This is why we're not serving rice cakes at the anniversary party this afternoon. All right, what are we eating this afternoon? Some of you know what we're eating. We're eating tacos, Chondo's tacos. Have you had Chondo's tacos? We're eating tacos and churros and snow cones. We're obeying God today. 
Ecclesiastes 9, 7, go and eat your taco with joy. Go and eat your snow cone with joy. Go and eat your churro with joy. Okay, this verse is why when we were asked by Chondos, we were asked the question. We called Chondos and said, we want you to come make us tacos. We don't care what it costs. Just come and make us tacos. As many tacos as possible. All afternoon, we've got a verse. And they asked us a couple questions. You know, what kind of meat, this. Do you have churros? Do we have churros? We want churros. Come and make, make us churros, we said. And they asked us a question. And this verse answered that question for us. It said, would you like normal churros or cream-filled churros? And I looked down at Ecclesiastes 7-7 and said, you put cream in those churros. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat that churro with more joy if there's cream. I mean, this is ridiculous. We're going to go to a park and eat snow cones and tacos and churros today. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Go and eat your bread with joy. Number three, go and drink your wine. Verse seven, go and drink your wine with a merry heart. Okay, listen. Wine in the Bible is a good thing. I don't know what you were taught when you were growing up in church. I know what I was taught growing up in church, and it was not this. There is no escaping this. Wine in the Bible is a good thing. Even Jesus, we're told in Matthew 11, came eating and drinking. So much so, apparently, that he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. He wasn't, but he was accused of that. In the Bible, wine is seen as a blessing and a gift. Psalm 104.15 tells us that wine is a gift from God to gladden the heart of men. Too much wine is a sin. Too much of, by the way, many things is a sin. Too much wine is a sin. Drunkenness is absolutely a sin. But wine in moderation is to be enjoyed with a merry heart. Eat your bread, Solomon says, and drink your wine for, look with me at verse 7. For God has already approved what you do. In other words, what you have before you is a gift from God. It is evidence of his favor and his blessing on your life. And he wants you to do what with it? To enjoy it. He has already approved what you are to do. What do do Christians constantly do? When they're blessed, many Christians, when they have good things, they have a hard time enjoying them. They ignore them. They feel guilty about enjoying them. They make rules so that they don't have to enjoy them. They're constantly asking God, is this okay? Is this okay? Is it okay that I do this? Is is it okay that I partake in this? Is it okay that I enjoy this? Am I enjoying this too much? What is God saying? I have already approved of you enjoying the gifts that I've given you. That's why I've given these gifts to you. Why do you give gifts to your kids? Are you some kind of sick parent that gives gifts to your kids just to tempt them to enjoy them? 
you give them a gift only to take it away? Or as a parent, you know what you do. When you give your child a gift, there's nothing that brings you greater joy than watching them enjoy the gift. Number four, go and put on some nice clothes. And there's some ladies that are very excited about this one. My wife would be one of them. Verse 8, go, let your garments always be white. Okay, what does this mean? Let your garments be always white. This doesn't mean throw away all your black clothes because black is from the devil and we need to wear white suits like Benny Hinn next week. It's not so much the color, but this is the deal. Your clothes matter, right? For a Christian, listen, everything matters. And Ecclesiastes gets at this. Everything matters. Things that we don't think are significant, like the food we eat and the drinks we drink and the clothes we wear, everything matters. What you wear, we know this, what you wear on the outside is often a reflection of what is going on on the inside. So read through your Old Testament, and you'll find that often when God's people were sad and God's people were mourning, they put on sack, they had special clothes they would wear that were a reflection of what was going on in the inside. They'd put on sackcloth, which was this itchy, sort of uncomfortable fabric. They would put ashes on their head. And when they were celebrating something, sometimes they'd wear white. As a symbol, as a reflection. So go. Go, Solomon is saying. Think about these things. Go. Put on some nice clothes. Don't dress like you're going to a funeral. Don't dress like you've given up on life. God loves you. Dress like it. It's very practical. Number five. Go and smell good. Go and smell good. Verse eight. Let not oil be lacking on your head. So, so here's what this is. You don't need to put oil on your head. In Solomon's day, they'd put oil on their head. Usually a nice smelling oil. It'd be sort of an equivalent to perfume that a lady might wear or cologne that a man might wear today. This is a very practical exhortation. Think about how you smell. Try and smell good. By and large, women are much better at this than men. I think I can say that. Most of you have not been nose nauseous in the presence of a woman before, but you've been in front of guys that smell worse than pre-Jesus Lazarus did in the tomb. And it's okay to say something and to focus on that. And if you're a man and that's something that you struggle with, find something, industrial surgery, I don't know what is available. If we can put people on the moon, I'm sure we can take care of that problem for you. Figure out what it is. Go and smell good. Finally, number six. Go and enjoy life with your spouse. Verse nine. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. All of this matters. These are gifts and things that God has given you for this life to be enjoyed. If you're here today and you are married, enjoy your spouse. 
enjoy your spouse. Yesterday was Kristen's birthday, and we ate and we drank, and she looked beautiful, had a beautiful dress on all day. She smelled wonderful. We just enjoyed our time together. There is not a greater gift that God has given me, and God has given me so many gifts, but there is not a greater gift that God has given me than my wife. If you're married, enjoy the spouse God has given you. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Proverbs 31.10 says, An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. So that's Solomon's prescribed response. In light of the uncertainty of life and the certainty of death, enjoy the gifts that God has given you. Your life is uncertain. You don't know how long you're going to have the things that you're going to have. You you don't know how long the circumstances are going to be what the circumstances are today. Your life is full of twists and turns, and most of the time you don't see them coming. You're going to die. It could be sooner, it could be later, but you're going to die. There is an expiration date on your life, and God knows what that date is, and there's nothing that you can do to escape that. And when you think about that, what you're going to be tempted to do is to ask God a lot of questions and to say, why, God, and and why this and why that and and how does this fit into your plan? And how could this possibly be for my good? And how could you possibly be glorified in this? And you're going to think things like, if I only had the answers to these questions, then, then I could be happy and then I could be content and, and then I could be joyful. And Solomon brings all those realities up. He, he, he commiserates with us. He says, I've, I have those same issues. I've had those same obstacles. I've, I've gone through all of this and more. And I've had the same problems. And then he focuses down and says, listen, this is how to glorify God. Focus on this. Enjoy whatever gifts God has given you. Enjoy the life that God has given you. These earthly gifts will not last forever. Confident trust in God and His providence should free you to enjoy whatever and whomever God has given you. So go, he says. Go and eat your bread with joy. Go and drink your wine with a merry heart. Go and dress nice. Go and smell good. Go and enjoy the husband or the wife that God has given you. In conclusion, there's something that I've assumed this whole time that maybe you're not assuming. So I want to make it clear. Enjoyment of life and enjoyment of the gifts in this life are only possible through Christ. That's the ground that Solomon is standing on. 
when God commands us, when Jesus commands us to have joy, and he does, the understanding is that that's impossible if you don't know God. That's impossible if you don't love God. That's impossible if you don't know Christ. There can be a degree of enjoyment that is sort of disconnected from reality and is distracted from the reality of death and is very short-lived only to experience an eternity of torment. But there's not true enjoyment in this life or the next apart from Christ. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It is only through Christ. Sidney Greedness says in his commentary, Because Jesus died and rose to save us from our enslavement to sin and to reconcile us to God, we can begin to live as God intended in the beginning, enjoying our food and drink and enjoying life with our spouse. So the question for you is today, are you in sin or are you in Christ? Right now, this morning, are you in sin or are you in Christ? Are you ruled by sin or are you ruled by Christ today? What rules over you? Is it what you want? Or is it what God wants? Do you want what God wants or do you want what you want? Are you in Christ today? Do you love Him? Do you trust Him? Are you seeking to Obey Him. If not, what are you waiting for? Solomon presses that home this morning, doesn't he? You're going to die. When you die, it's game over. There's no going back. There's no second chances. The regrets will be the regrets. The time will be gone. Be wasted or not wasted. We should live for Christ. And as we live for Christ, we should enjoy the gifts that he has given us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, help us to understand and apply your word. God, help us to remember the gospel as we think about Solomon's call to us today. God, keep us from enjoying the gifts in this life and forgetting about you. Keep us from ignoring the gifts that you've given us. Help us, God, to walk faithfully, to to live for you and your glory and not our own. 
and then to thankfully and gratefully receive the gifts that you've given us. Help us today and in the days to come, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.